Ladies and gentlemen, hello again, and welcome back to Don't Worry About the Government. My name is Chris Delvinbrino. Joining me to round up the news of the week are Brian Halverson. Hi, Brian. How's it going? I got my windows open. You got your windows open. Is that, yeah. Does that mean it's that it's it, nice outside? It's nice it's like outside. Seventy yeah. degrees outside. I, I well, can you believe that? The the context makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I I can believe it. Um, it once seemed impossible, but uh, but now it has occurred. And Lindsay Duke, how are you, Lindsay Duke? Uh, I'm I'm good, Chris. I am uh, warm, and I have electricity and Wi-Fi, and there's no snow on the ground, and you know. That's better than I was last week, so. So, tell us about, we did our snow experience here in the middle of the week when this was still very much going on, and I, I didn't have water, but uh, what was your storm experience like? Um, I was in Denton, Texas, so we had a nice little rolling blackout for most of the week. Um, it got cold here in my apartment, but I live in a small apartment, so thankfully it never was like less than 65 um, we have a water boil order, um, that happened, but they've rescinded it. Um, you know, candlelight and realizing, you know, that you're just going to have to sit alone with your thoughts for a long amount of time. It's been a, been an interesting week. Uh, and you know, just the simmering rage of everything and all the corruption that has led to this point of you sitting there in the dark, um, you know, trying to decide how much battery on your phone you would like to waste reading twitter just to occupy your mind while you know everything around you freezes you know that that sort of thing yeah and not having power and not knowing if you're going to have power in a few hours um having water or not having water and not knowing if you're going to have water in a few hours, or having water and not knowing if you're going to have water in a few hours. Just like the endless amounts of uncertainty. Uh, on the last show, I talked about the, the FEMA scams and stuff, too, for my apartment complex. And they one of their last... They sent off 25, over 25 emails to me in the last week here, which is insane. Um, and one of the last ones was, oh, by the way, if any of the pipes froze or did damage to your apartment, that's on you. Um, just wanted to remind you all that like, this is your fault. It's our fault that we live and rent in buildings that are not properly winterized. Like it's a total abdication of any actual responsibility and just hiding behind that TAA lease. Yeah. I don't know how well that holds up, but I don't know that they're out of the woods on sending out this whole FEMA scam to everyone in the apartment. Um, do you want to talk about Ted Cruz now, Lindsay, or do you want to talk about Ted Cruz when we get into the slate here? Um, cause oh, we, yeah. we, uh, we can talk about Ted Cruz anytime, anywhere I'm ready. <laughs> I, I, so, let, let, let's just let you go. Yeah, go, go. Yeah, vent, you vent. know what? Let's, let's go through the news and let's build up to it. Cause I feel like I'm going to need some time and I know that there's a lot more things in the world. Besides my hatred of Ted Cruz. I, I mean, say what you will about him, Lids, but when it really counted, in the afternoon on Saturday, Ted Cruz was out there handing out bottles of water to people randomly. In a mostly empty parking lot that was probably just staffed with his people and their SUVs. Yeah, I uh, got that. Releasing the photo of him touching somebody during the midst of the pandemic, like, like you know, doing the politician, like, I'm your buddy, I care thing, but it's like, 
no, Ted, you don't get it. Like, part of the problem here is that, like, we're not supposed to be touching. I, I mean, I mentioned the cat on the last episode that I rescued from the cold here. Part of the issue that I've had over the last couple of days finding a shelter for this cat is that a number of the adoptive services out here will not take any animals right now due to COVID-19. So, like, that ended up being a lot more of a process of everything is affected by this. Uh, not Ted Cruz, of course. But, like, everything in reality certainly is. Um, he's a fine politician. I don't know why, you have, why you're so angry at him. Um, I think he does good stuff. All right, we speaking get into it later. Speaking of coronavirus <laughs> here, for the first time since November, the daily average of new coronavirus infections in the U.S. fell below 100,000. Which is a very positive sign. I, I will say that I was very worried that once we broke 200,000, we were just going to be cruising at 200,000 new cases a day for as far as the eye can see. So having this, this peak and, and it troughing back down, granted we're now back at like 100,000, which is still very, very high. Um, but the fact that we have that is, is a good thing. Um, guys, any thoughts on the coronavirus numbers? Uh, I heard Dr. Fauci talking to John Favreau about this, and it, it seems to be that it's um, just a combination of how bad it got. You know, it had it had to fall, so I'm not sure what it means in the long run. Um, if we'll, you know, as lo- as these rollouts of the vaccines and stuff keep happening, hopefully it's a good sign. But I mean, still, how do you how do you feel good about you know a hundred thousand new right- cases a day? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. But- Better you know, so, than it was. So since we're up against the clock here a little bit due to the weird uh, pressures of Zoom, I, this actually is a good place to bring in a topic that I want to talk about at some point during the show. And we, we can just do it, and then we'll continue on with the slate here when we uh, do part two. If you're on YouTube or if you're watching these on YouTube, go check out part two. Zoom is weird. They break me into 40 minutes, and I have to, I have to get creative with how I seg stuff out. So what I want to talk about here is the reopening of schools thing. Because I have heard Fauci and other people inside the government come out this week and really push um, Biden's line that he wants to have schools open within 100 days and that it's totally fine to have schools open within his first 100 days. And I I have two major problems with this. One, and this is the bigger one, so I'll start with the bigger one, um, the science to me does not support reopening schools right now. There, there are, are a number of problems. First, you can't get vaccines for kids right now. Vaccines for children are just simply not ready. And I don't care how much trusted voices say kids can't get COVID. We know that that's not true. We, we, we know that that isn't true. And, and there are, I, when I last looked, three, over 3 million cases of COVID-19 for children so far in the United States. And that's been with remote learning, at distance, and all of that sorts of thing. And it makes sense, right? Because kids have weaker immune systems, and they part of the way one's immune system gets fortified for adulthood is by getting sick more often when you're younger. Um, so, like, maybe they don't get it as often, but they're also more susceptible to getting it. And, and much like other illnesses that we get as a kid, um, you get it, it's bad for a day and a half, two days, and then you bounce back. Um, that may very well be the case for young kids with COVID. But the thing with COVID is that's not how it works for any of us. Um, and during that whole window, they still were able to be shedders 
of the COVID virus. Um, so you can't vaccinate any of these kids right now. Uh, and then the other part, what really alarmed me, was Fauci just sort of throwing his hands up and going, I don't think vaccinating the teachers is essential either. Um, which you you could sort of argue on one level, like if you can't vaccinate the kids, what the hell's the point of vaccinating the teachers? But if I was a teacher, it's sure as hell not how I would feel about it. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, you want me to go back in the classroom? I'm sorry. I'd like my risk to be mitigated. Thank you very much. I, I, I want to work in the safest possible working conditions. Um, and that didn't just end in 2019. Uh, you know, that, that goes well into 2020. You don't want to be exposed to a deadly virus that can totally kill your adult ass. And, and has killed many, many educators. And the whole argument that kids can't get it or that it doesn't affect kids as much concedes that it does affect adults more. Um, so, like, like, there's just any number of problems with, uh, with this. And Biden just seems to be pushing full speed ahead on this. And then this gets to my second problem, uh, which is lesser, but I think is relevant. What is the value added of getting kids back into the classroom for two months of the tail end of this school year like they're gonna get back in in march they're gonna go the real th- answer is standardized testing yes it'll be great so they can take their tax test or uh, that's our you yeah, know you're that's right an interesting I, point that's it that is very interesting. They, they won't allow you to take that rent they won't allow you to take that remotely yeah that's fair how interesting i actually never thought of the um test industrial complex and how mad they must be right now i think i mean i hate to say it but i it smells like the union the teachers union's kind of in on this because there's some way where they make more money if they're actually in schools than doing the thing remotely it's uh the remote learning days count for uh or at least with uh my school district the remote learning days count for half uh and so uh they're they're telling the uh, the teachers the reason why we don't want to do these remote learning days is because it adds days on to the end of our our summer is just going to get shorter uh we're going to have to push back the end of the school year longer and longer um that's at least that's the last detail i heard on that is that that the remote days were count counted as a fraction but i think it was half that's so strange to me, I guess, because um, my thought process would be, well, then it, we're still in a pandemic. So where are people going? Uh, you know, what does it matter what it adds to your, you know, your summer break, considering also the fact that a lot of these kids are barely um, getting by on remote learning. They're, they're not necessarily the best teaching tools. And when you shorten a, a school year there's a higher retention rate so it might be a good thing i don't know i have teacher friends and i know that a lot of them are having a blended model and some of them are in the classroom i i don't know what the right thing is um my if everybody wants these teachers back in classrooms i would say then you better um they better have the option to to vaccinate and you shouldn't expect them to to throw themselves on a you know a live wire just to teach algebra um for two months for two months months. i don't know i think the craziest thing to me about this is we're coming up on summer vacation and it just makes so much more sense to me for biden to have set the expectation of we're going to have a normal fall i think that's a doable goal 
I think having three months off for summer vacation allows schools and school districts to get in order and do everything they need to do to hit the ground running for a post-COVID reopening of schools, which will change the way student life is, much in the way like the post-Columbine reopening of schools and the uh, post-9-11, like we got to securitize the schools and get the student resource officers up on the campus and everything. Like, summer vacation allows for a much easier reset than trying to restart it in the middle of the year. And in terms of outcomes, I think like the big problem has been, and, and this is Trump's fault. This is not entirely Biden's fault either. Biden's playing into it, but like this is set in stone when Trump was trying to just force everyone to return to normalcy. Um, not just accepting that this particular school year was going to be a, a lost year. And if, if they had done that, it would have been easier for every single student, alternative and probably better time edu- like education time could have been set up for the kids to learn something else um and then get back to the K through 12 learning in a classroom when they're able to do that i think you just tapped into something there uh, that there it's a huge testament to the absolute atrocious communication breakdown that has happened from leadership all over this country and that i don't know what the answer is in regarding teachers now because for the last year we have been so uh confusing about what's safe what's right what's best that nobody has a uh really strong sense of what that is anymore and so if if biden really wants you know teachers back um they're gonna have to make a very clear concise science-backed pitch to everyone involved and so far that hasn't happened at least not for me. I, if I was a teacher, I would be um, not working. I wouldn't work. Um, pinging along here. Coronavirus pandemic has cut the life expectancy in the U.S. by an entire year in the first half of 2020. The largest drop since World War II. Overall, Americans can now expect to live 77.8 years on average, similar to what it was in 2006. Life expectancy in the black population, however, declined by 2.7 years, down to 72 years. So, already have bad outcomes. And as we've been hearing for the last couple of years, or for the last year or so here, this has been disproportionately affecting black and brown communities, particularly black communities. And I think a lot of that is 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 because of a higher prevalence of diabetes and how COVID is very much a blood flow sort of issue. CDC noted that data only reflects death that occurred during the first six months of 2020 and thus is actually kind of the smaller part of the picture from the latter half of the year. So we're not going to have a complete picture of just how bad things got until some point this year. So this is, I kind of don't like that the one year figure is what everyone is focusing on because if part of the population is closer to three years, I would rather it be said something to the fact that most of you lost about three months and some of you lost three years and let's figure out why. Yeah. Let's figure out why there's a spectrum here. I, I think there is going to be, especially as vaccines get more ubiquitous, a real impulse. And, and part of this is, is 
coming from the Biden administration. Part of this was coming from Trump, too. This return to normalcy thing. Because Trump was almost sort of selling return to normalcy as well. It was like the most ham-handed, like, like cloven hoof fist way of forcing return to normalcy. Um, But, like, it was this idea of just pretend everything's fine. It's going to go away like a miracle. Remember that phrase? Um, Yeah, like... I think there's going to be a real impulse during this year, and this is why I was concerned about schools in the first segment here, that once we can get some vaccines out and once we can get schools open, we can act like everything's normal. And the people who are going to be the real victim of that are people like, for example, in the black community who are really already getting disproportionately affected by this and are going to have longer wait times to getting to vaccines as well. And we still don't... I was just going to say, and we still don't know like the full long-term effects of a lot of this. So if they're, if they're already disproportionately affected by being infected, what is the, uh, what is the effect of the infection long-term? <laughs> Cause COVID is, is a blood flow thing. Uh, like as much as we kind of think like, you know, I mean, we remember just a flu and I know pretty much everyone who listens to this show is not of the belief that it's quote, just the flu or whatever. But the problem with that framing that's much more subtle is that it did sort of lead us to believe on some level, it's kind of like an upper respiratory infection thing. And while COVID does manifest in some serious upper respiratory infections, and as Lindsay just described, getting vaccinated, it manifests in fever and cold and chills and things that we associate with upper respiratory. A big part of this, like if you look up COVID fingers or COVID toes or any of that sort of stuff, it's about blood flow. And, and so when that ports onto, um, like, let's say your family's got a history of diabetes, uh, that could be really, really disastrous. And to Lindsay's point, it it's not necessarily going to show up, uh, certainly not in the first six months snapshot, but it's not necessarily going to show up in this next snapshot, which is also going to look pretty bleak. Um, it, it's well, something that's going to take a while to get to. Is there any data on how much of this is is physiology and how much of this is certain groups of people are more often essential workers. Hey, that's an excellent point because it's probably both. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So I I mean, I think when we're looking at this 2.7 number, I I, have talked about physiology, but like, no, I think this is intersectional, right? Like I do think there's physiological components. Some families are just more prone to diabetes than others. And you know, also some, some families are more prone to sickle cell anemia than others. Um, and there is a bit of a geographical tracking with some of that stuff. Um, but I think to your point, Brian, um, black and brown people are very often the people we have been labeling as essential workers and leaving on the front lines. And they weren't the first people to get the vaccines. And they've been going and being in tremendous exposure risks um, with oftentimes not the safest possible conditions. And so, yeah, like, I I think the other thing we're sort of seeing in these numbers, and to your point, it's hard to parse out what's what, um, but I think it's there, is that poor people are getting more disproportionately affected by this. It's uh, like like what they used to say about Vietnam, where it was a rich man's war and a poor man's fight. COVID is a uh, rich man's war and it's a poor person's fight. It's been acknowledged by government and other public bodies that the pandemic has hit vulnerable groups and those living in deprived areas the hardest. Official figures for England show that the overall death rate between April and June this year in the poorest areas was nearly double that of the least deprived. The need's massive, absolutely colossal. This is the church I represent. 
the level of need here in Burnley at the moment is, I think, unprecedented and it's upsetting. We've got some, some bread as well, yeah? For too many, the legacy of coronavirus is not only sickness, but desperation. Visiting a, a family who had no carpet, had no settee, who had no gas, had no electric, they had no food. I broke my heart because um, nobody cared for them. They fell through the crack. Pot noodles, that kind of stuff, all right. I go into houses and I sometimes have children ripping the bags open to get at the food as I'm carrying them to the door. Uh, And it's not all right, that. The homeless are among the hardest hit by the coronavirus crisis and are believed to have been the most infected with the disease. Here in the city of Paris, when the rate of contamination among the general population was about 12%, it had already reached 40% among those living in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's an interesting way of thinking about it because I believe Vietnam was also disproportionately affecting black people as well. They they are more drafted and everything. Um, it's rough. I mean, I, I, I felt incredibly... I was literally dealing with chills and fever at like 2, 3 in the morning and feeling overwhelmed uh, with like gratitude that I was in that position. Like, I got teary um, because I felt so grateful that I had that option. You know, I have asthma and pre-existing conditions. And so I was able to get this and put this behind me. And my parents have been vaccinated and they're getting their second dose tomorrow. So uh, this chapter gets to end for me. But for a lot of people, that's not an option. I've been able to work from home for a year. You know, that's incredibly incredibly depressing and i don't know maybe we need to rethink how we're vaccinating and <laughs> i don't know I, nobody I, asks me I, no i i still have a problem with this just it, much like the schools thing there was this logic that came out that everyone just sort of said axiomatically which is that old people need the vaccine first and so then you start seeing these like news articles of like people who are 100 years old getting the vaccine and i'm going like don't get me wrong it's touching to see this person, you know, still trucking at a hundred, but like, it do they should have been a blend? Yeah, like, like I, I go. It's twofold. I like, and not to sound callous about like, oh, well, there are a hundred. How many more years left do they have? But that's real math. Um, but the second part of this is, um, people in nursing homes and those sorts of facilities are generally isolated and cloistered away, and it is actually much easier to keep them in safe conditions than it is the essential workers that we have been talking about. And there's just been sort of this axiomatic thing of like, well, you've got young and healthy people. They can handle this a lot better than older people can. And that would be true if older people had to get up and go and work at the grocery store for 40 hours a week at the cashier stand um, as compared to a 30-something-year-old like person. Yeah, like the 30-year-old woman is going to have a much better survival rate than the 75-year-old man working the checkout counter. But that's not I mean, the experience. Who, who are the people transmitting the disease? <laughs> it's it's not, the, it's not the, you know, the, if it gets into an isolated population like prison or a nursing home, it spreads rapidly, right? Yes. But it only is entering those places 
because of people from the outside like that back in when this all started in like March or April where there was that wedding that happened and the people who got infected there was like 180 people got infected or something like that from one wedding it was because 50 of those people got infected from a prison guard who attended the wedding and so people all over the country were um you know exponentially affected and then like three or four people died who didn't even go to that wedding and this gets to another thing i don't have this on the slate so i i'm talking a little conjecturally here but it's definitely real because i was watching um i think it was a deutsche Welle report on this the super spreader thing is still not particularly well understood um and, and the way that certain people are just megaphones of covid transmission uh, like, like they, they can't help themselves. It's like, you know, that prison guard, yeah, he was exposed, but I bet you, um, if they tested that guy, they'd also find that he has the hallmarks of a super spreader type person. Um, which again, is not like a particularly filthy person. It's just some people are way better at transmitting this virus than others. Like and that's little pa- kids. They're yes. Part of why I'm so worried bed. about schools. Like, so you go, okay, yeah, Timmy's probably not a super spe- spreader. Jenny's not a super spreader. You know, uh, Letitia's not a super spreader. But Paul, P- Paul's a disease monkey. You got to get him out of the classroom. <laughs> uh, I mean... There was even a time in in school when I remember them shutting down school just because they could not control the stomach bug. And children are the worst (laughs) when it comes to bugs. I'm just like, that's why I do not understand the logic of letting them go back to school. But I also am not keeping up with the, the, the science and stuff enough in that regard so i can't comment too much on it but geez it does feel it does feel strange i'm not i'm i'm not a science expert so to to this point which i think is probably clear to everyone who's ever fucking listened to this show uh math math is also kind of shaky for old nopi so like obviously science is going to be a mixed bag (laughs) physics not bad uh other math things eh. um but like I, i look at these articles and i guess my point is when i'm talking about reopening schools I want to see more evidence to be convinced that reopening schools is the right answer. Perhaps it is, but I have not seen that as of yet. Well, the, the main argument that I hear that is that w- once it's posed, it gets foggy is the mental health uh, counter because you can't, you can't, you can't uh, make that analytical. Uh, you, and, and so here's the thing that no one ever or I have yet to hear. So we are saying that when everyone is back in school, but we still have to keep everyone socially distanced, that will be such a much more optimal mental health circumstance. And when you actually gameplay that out, it may not be better. It may be worse. How about going to a school and losing a classmate? Um, I, I, I'm sure you guys probably remember at some point in high school, like a noted member of your school died and like how traumatizing and depressing that was for everyone. Like I remember his name, but Brian O'Leary, rest in peace, dude. Um, He was a cool guy. And like, I hung out with that guy. And when Brian O'Leary died or when Dan Conchin died, one, 35 years old their names are still burned into my brain and two like it i I mean 
when Dan died, I almost want to start crying about it right now. Like, it's really, really traumatizing. Uh, that kid was going to go on to make movies and stuff. He was really getting into film and, like, shooting stuff all the time. Um, and, like, editing on his uh, MacBook and everything. I, yeah, I don't want to get lost in it, but, like, rest in peace, dude. Um, so, like, the whole idea of getting these kids back in school so that they can experience the death of a classmate in person, up close and personal. Let's talk about what mental health is going to look like after that. Also heartbreaking, yeah. Well, if we're also talking about how schools are a prison pipeline, how much more does school feel like prison when you have to socially distance at 100% capacity? Yeah, and school already kind of felt prisony in the post-Columbine world too, because most of them are designed for like lockdown scenarios so that you can uh, you know, stop an active shooter. I have to say this though, I'm not completely unaware of what's happening with the students because I work for a university library, so I see a lot of what the the university level students are dealing with, and they hate this. They are not learning. They are being required to do things in terms of tests and papers and deadlines. Their professors are not mitigating expectations at all. There's no uh, training for these teachers going into this. So, yeah, so they're getting, yeah. Professors have egos, okay? I've dealt with them. And so they think that their class is the only class that matters. And so you should really, really, you know, cater all of your time towards making sure you pass their their course and that's in a normal day that's in normal years um over zoom and remote it's been terrible to watch i mean most of them are adapting but i see the reddit for my university and the student depression levels and anxiety over well can i can i pass with a with a 50 on my course sort of conversations are out of control like they are so angry especially about um you know their tuition going towards this education that doesn't feel up to par they don't feel like they're retaining anything so there's definitely a loss in terms of uh what remote learning is like for people and how it helps them actually get any sort of benefit from education this really to me is is the the culprit like the root problem here is this ridiculous educational expectation that was set up during the trump administration that's now being continued by the biden administration of oh we're going to have something that approximates normal learning and and the ultimate reality is is you can have something that approximates normal learning and just go fuck COVID. We're just getting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, normal learning would never require that a uh, young woman have a photograph taken of her lap in order to complete a test. That's a thing that happens. I think it was my university. There is a test setting um, for these online tests where they have to have their webcams on while they're taking the test to see the room to make sure they're not cheating. And one of these professors required them to tilt the camera to their laps to make sure they didn't have a book in their lap. So that is, you know, there's whole, there's like lots of very little things that you don't notice until they're cropping up. Uh, yeah. What is, what is normal learning when it comes to that? 
No, no, it's it's bonkers. I and I I've thought about this a bunch. If I had a kid, they would just have been pulled from school for the last year, and I would have them learning how to do things that they'll be able to use for the rest of their life, like woodworking. You know, like doing practical skill building stuff around the house. Because because why deal with the ridiculous expectations from teachers who don't yet know how to teach remotely and have never had any training to do so? Um, why agonize and stress over trying to get on to Zoom and like fake your way to one-third of the normal learning you do when I could much more normally adapt this so that m- my child can learn an actual skill that they'll be able to use for the rest of their life. Like, like whatever it is. So it's something something more practical and just make the best use of this time that you can and then make up the education later on. Yeah, one of my uh, concerns here is also uh, it's related to kind of the sense of morality that happens whenever you're remote learning. Uh, just to take a step back from there, if we look at all college graduates right now who have yet to enter in the working world, how many of them professionally are going to spend the bulk of their lives remote working? And so this, I really doubt that remote working goes away in a lot of these industries where it's creeped up in uh, due to COVID. Um, But But work is not learning. I I mean, shit, I'll tell you, I've worked a lot of jobs where I've learned nothing. Right, right. Um, But I think what's going on right now is it's a lot of my parents aren't watching and I am technically here, but I can turn my camera off. And it's a lot of inner turmoil that these people are going through finding their own sense of morality when no one is otherwise there to keep them in check. And these young people are being tested in ways that you and I were never tested. Yeah, dude, and, and you people. and like that level of discipline has to be learned, and like you don't just learn well, it overnight either. Well, in, in a sense, you're, they're learning it right now. It's just the outcome as they're learning this skill is poor education outcomes. They're learning great self-discipline. It's just at an incredibly slow learning curve because their parents have never done it. They've never seen anyone model it in their life before. Uh, they're, they're the first people to do this. And so they're, they're, they are a science experiment. Uh, and uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know where this goes, but I know this generation's sense of, of right and wrong is going to be totally different <laughs> like i'm not saying they're going to be worse there I, I i but no no i mean like look the, in there we, we yeah. had columbine and we had 9-11 and like those those were formative things but i'm talking to this younger generation um and they're way cool and everything but i'm thinking like they had parkland um when some of them were 13 uh you know then they had donald trump when some of them were uh 16 uh, you know, and now they're in college and it's COVID-19 and like they didn't even really get a chance to enjoy college. Like they've had so many different beats of their young lives just get disrupted by like horrible traumatic news events. Um, and they've been confronted with time and again, sort of like government as not a force for good, but a force for uh, chaos or uh, in- ineffective uh, addressing of the needs. 
The House, the White House, that, that, not just the House, the White House, said that Biden would support efforts to establish the creation of a 9-11 type commission to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Nancy Pelosi said on Monday that the House would move to establish an independent commission for Congress to, quote, get to the truth of the Capitol attack, as well as, quote, the interference with the peaceful transfer of power. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said that the White House would also cooperate with Congress to deter similar episodes in the future. Already got that. They, they already say that Antifa's uh, really behind it. Um, I was listening to uh, somebody who from the Proud Boys, and the Proud Boys basically already went like, well, no real Proud Boys were at this, and there was the one chapter, but that guy went rogue, and they weren't really with us. It was essentially a false flag, and they're trying to... No, I, I mean, su- super obvious. I, I mean, I think the thing that bothers me with the 9-11 type commission is like, so like, what did the 9-11 commission do? Um, and, and in so here's the thing, insofar as the 9-11 commission did something, the most important thing it did was show Saudi Arabia's ties to 9-11. And then a lot of effort was Whoops. made by the Obama administration, among others, um, to block people who were victims of the 9-11 attacks from really taking Saudi Arabia to court. Hey, that, that, you know, hey, Biden, maybe, um, instead of wasting my time with the a commission that's probably not going to do anything in terms of that because I saw everything that happened. There's video footage uh, that's out there like crazy about what happened. Um, all I want is a consequences. And then if you want a commission, I'd love a commission into Jamal Khashoggi's death. Maybe that'll be a, you know, if we're talking about Saudi Arabia again, you know, <laughs> how about a special prosecutor, uh, for, for the attacks of the Capitol, yeah. uh, yeah, instead of a commission, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading this. Consequences. And... Is there a commission that that you can say like, well, that was worth it, or that that? Ooh, that's a good that question, man. I'll, I'll throw that one um, to the listeners. Yeah, uh, I, I think the one about, um, I think, uh, was it the Warren Commission for JFK. The the Warren Commission was the JFK. Yeah, that's the that first one totally that comes to mind as a because it's just given us decades of fun. Decades of conspiracy <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, to, the, to that point, I like people like fun. Uh, even if you don't get answers, sometimes people like questions. Um, and in that sense, the War Commission was dope. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but, but to your point, Brian, I, I one, one struggles to think of a commission that does anything. A special prosecutor might. Um, and I think, you know, like this ends the rather frustrating chapter of the Capitol Hill. Biden, I, I don't know if I include this, but like earlier this week, Biden also said, like, I'm tired of, I'm done with talking about Donald Trump. Um, so like, he's just, he's over it. Uh, Trump might not be done with him. He's going to be back at CPAC next week. So, uh, it, which, which he delivered. Wow. Yeah. Uh, CPAC a couple of years ago, <laughs> you guys might remember, he delivered the longest speech of his presidency, which clocked in at two hours. Do you remember back in the, um, in, in the old work days when we used to be captioners. And we the, had to cash at CPAC. The CPAC Saturdays were every year it'd come around and you'd just sit there and be like, you'd have to, you know, tell the next captioner, I'm sorry, man. Godspeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, see, yeah, no, it's. It, I'm it, haunted by CPAC. <laughs> CPAC's horrible. Lila, it's, it's, a, it, it's a horrible place. It's gotten more horrible over time. Um, so. 
Yeah, like, I, I don't think anything's going to come, of course, of the 9-11 Commission. Uh, and, and, and I think the bigger problem here, as we're moving past impeachment, is the way this last week has played out. So you remember... Uh, a couple episodes ago, I was making fun of Chris Murphy saying like, hey man, don't don't say we're going on vacation, man. We're not going to be on vacation next week. You know we're doing district work. And you know how important district work is, man. Um, and, like, and, and we're going to be working on this COVID bill. It, except that there was a giant freaking <laughs> blizzard. Um, Chris Coons, of course, gave up the game by going like, "We all want to get home before Valentine's Day." Like, like it's not even really about doing work. Yo, you didn't oh, hear the that? Romantics. Yeah, I know. Chris, yeah, Chris Coons, the guy you think of when you think of true romance, too. Uh, that that he courted he courted Jeff Flake nicely. Um, but <laughs> so like, it sort of blew a hole in this, and then of course here comes Ted Cruz to really sort of solidify what district work is really all about, right? District work's going to Kate Coon. Oh, uh, and the blaming your daughters. So yeah, like I, it just it this last week with the blizzard has really put into relief for me the week prior with impeachment and the cop outs that were being delivered all going into that weekend as to why they couldn't call witnesses. Cause there were so many more important things they needed to get to. And then to that point, this last week has been spent on Capitol Hill doing drums around near a tandon. I don't care. I live in Texas. People don't have power. People don't have water. Um, or Biden doing foreign policy shit. I don't care. Like, most of my state's without power. Most of my state's without water. And he's, like, showing up late here. Not as bad as Ted Cruz again. But, like, showing up way late. Now I'm going to do something about it on Friday. When the when when seconds and hours counted, it took days from our government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You, were you having a Ted Cruz <laughs> moment over there? Like, like I saw you like catch. Oh, you. Ted Cruz lives in my head rent free. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I saw you like had to regroup yourself on the video feed here. I, in my head, every time Ted Cruz's name is said, it's it's actually altered to Ted fucking Cruz, that giant fucking dork. Um, it. I can't type a tweet with his name without that entire phrase. You can probably go through my search history and see how many times I've. Ted fucking Cruz, that giant fucking dork, is in my Twitter history. Um, yeah, I, I hate him. How how about that? How, where do I start with that hatred? I don't know if that's helpful, just to be blindly hateful of someone on a podcast. I mean, it's so useful for, you know, affecting change in the world is, is my rage that warmed my... Uh, MySpace. While Th- think I of it as informative. Cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like think of it as like you're informing. Like this has a global reach. You are informing people around the world how much Texans hate Ted Cruz and like, <laughs> like we fucking hate him. Like I hate him so much. Okay, I hate him. I, I just gotta say the Cancun thing, right? The logic of his lie is such that. I, Father Ted Cruz, to bless my tween and maybe teen children, have decided to let them go to Cancun, and I was going to escort them there because of safety, and then I was going to abandon them there because of not safety? So my children are now in a foreign country one that I sometimes refer to as extremely dangerous because all those people that flood over the over the uh, 
uh, the wall to come over to this country. Well, it's dangerous enough that you can't trust your wife. You can't trust your wife to watch the kids. She can't chaperone this. You got to go. So how about this? What sounds worse to you? Ted Cruz travels to Cancun during uh, during uh, a disaster in his own state, or Ted Cruz somehow finds a generator and stays home. Maybe he gets the generator when he shouldn't have, but that's a fire that's a little bit easier to put out now, ain't it? Uh, I, what about the other one of Ted Cruz abandons daughters in, in Cancun? I think uh, that's crazy uh, to me. Like you that, should have just stayed at that point. Just stay and say, you know what? I screwed up, but uh, look, no airplanes. I got to be out here on this beach in these shorts. Uh, I made a huge, just, just admit to a mistake. I just want someone to take responsibility for their actions once in this lifetime uh, or, or well, get I'll held tell you accountable what, if, for them if if the republicans are following along with the trumpian standard of machismo it certainly doesn't make sense to leave cancun this is i think where ted cruz made the ultimate mistake is you gotta you gotta ken paxton your way just like white knuckle through it like does how, how much damage do you have on you doesn't matter i'm just moving ahead one day at a time and unless you cut my head off i'm not going anywhere i'm just gonna keep moving forward and this is this is what i've been saying with trump too like everyone keeps going oh he's done now i'm like no one actually cut the head off the snake like he, he's gonna keep slithering forward uh, th- there's no reason he won't Oh man, and I think that's what Ted really wants to be is is to well. Have that, it, but. I guess if nothing else, because he made this move, if there is a Trumpian element, whether it's Trump or someone who's just following along his line in 2024, it's going to be easy to paint Cruz as uh, Beta, which is yes, totally not. It, it, that wasn't GOP cool before Trump. Hey. Wait until Donald Trump brings up that. It, like, Ted Cruz <laughs> tries to run against Trump this time. And Trump, I mean, think about how easy it will be for any any Republican, really, to bring this up and, like, just dunk Ted Cruz into the water. But, like, Trump in particular, like, oh, are you going to sell out your wife again? Because you did it the one time to me. Are you going to sell her out or are you going to blame your daughters this time? You want to sell them out to me? Oh, can you imagine being those children? They are going to, one of these days, they're going to be 18 years old. They're going to be adults in this world, and they're going to be able to make their own choices. And I'm just saying, young crew's daughters, I will help you into this world of hating your dad if you need. Probably should hate your mom, too, honestly. Because she was responsible for planning out the trip. I I think I love that. Just like, girls, let's get away. (laughs) It's time for a nice... She's as Weekend. she's as vacant as Ted is. I think sometimes it's too easy to go like Ted's morally vacant and forget. But she doesn't have power. That's my thing. Is yes. you're you're comparing Trump to a Kardashian, right? You know, yeah. like Trump Trump was the president. Kardashian isn't a president. That's and my I, and I get that. Problem. I'm saying within the purview of these kids, oh, and yeah. also just as people. Like, like you're right. Like one has power. One has, so I'm not. I mean, the show doesn't focus on Ted Cruz's wife, who, Heidi. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time talking about Heidi on the show. Um, I talk about Ted Cruz because he's the senator from Texas. But, like, in terms of people, if Heidi, he if Heidi was the senator from Texas, she'd be just as bad as Ted because she'd be married to Ted Cruz. Yeah, we got to – one of these I, days, I, just talk to her now. I think the furthest, 
the most I need to know about this related to Heidi is, does she know already who in the text chain, like as soon as she knew someone dropped dime on her, did she know which one of her friends it was? Yes. Or does she think all of her friends are willing to drop dime on her? I hope she thinks they're all, they're all in on it. I hope she can't sleep at night, not able to figure out which one of these, because you know that one of these people were like, finally, I have been. I have been friends with this woman for years looking for my opportunity to sell her out. And for that, for that person, I say, welcome to the resistance. <laughs> going back to Trump here, the decoupling thing, I continue to follow the story. I'm always just keeping an eye on the numbers. As the facts change, I will change my position if needed, but I will say. Quinnipiac, new poll, 75% of Republicans say that they'd like to see Trump play a prominent role in the Republican Party. Overall, 60% of Americans do not want Trump to play a prominent role in the party. So it doesn't matter about the 60%. All that matters is the 75% of Republicans. And that 60% also sort of like accounts for 10% of Republicans who would love to decouple from, or the 10% of the overall country who'd love to decouple from Trump, but absolutely can't. There's just not enough of them. Uh, Lindsey Graham appeared on Fox News Sunday to boast about the prospects of Lara Trump, the wife of Eric Trump. So she's a nominal Trump. Uh, it's kind of like a weird bank shot way of getting a Trump into office without actually really getting a Trump into office here. Uh, you're not putting one of the Koopa kids in. You're putting the wife of one of the Koopa kids in. Um, and she's being considered as a Senate candidate. Um, so the goal is to get a Trump in the Senate for Richard Burr's North Carolina Senate seat. Uh, Lindsey Graham said, quote, The biggest winner, I think, of this whole impeachment trial is Lara Trump. If she runs, I will certainly be behind her because I think she represents the future of the Republican Party. Well, on, an, on another Sunday morning update, I also heard uh, um, Steve Scalise uh, went through two minutes of not admitting that Joe Biden legitimately won the election. This is, guys, just for people listening here, this is the guy who got shot in the congressional baseball shooting just a few years ago. And so you'd think he would have, of all people, maybe, just maybe, realized that this political violence issue is a real thing as he's still dealing with physical after effects from being shot by political violence. He's willing to admit it. We just need to talk to the electors, and there's some states that still have to, you know. Wow. Very fun answer. Wow, that's incredible. I, this is why I say with absolute confidence, I have my problems with the Democratic Party and, like, Biden's leadership and all of these things. But, like, the Republican Party is fundamentally at its core just absolutely rotten and there's it's a no contest like this this party needs to be ideologically burned to the ground who is laura trump why Eric is she trump's so wife i know but lindsey yeah, graham is yeah, sitting yeah. here preaching like she's the future of the party i'm like what has she done is she i'm, I'm like racking my brain like did i miss her running for a mayor uh representative um doing anything besides just being married to a guy so 
still Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, which I read that. I was like, what? That guy didn't get shit canned in the first week? Really? <laughs> yeah, what is the problem with that? There is like a loophole of why he still has that job, and I don't remember what it is. God, that's nuts. So anyways, he plans to slow down mail delivery and make it more costly by raising postage rates and eliminating first-class mail. Um, the, This copy doesn't include this, but I, I, I think it's really important here. DeJoy has massive holdings in Federal Express and UPS. Like, when I talk oh, about Lloyd Austin boy. as General McRaytheon, um, and, and, and like, how and it's no accident that this week Raytheon got a big missile contract. Lloyd Austin's been in office for less than, like, three weeks. Uh, gets confirmed 93-5 to five in the Senate with, like, uh, only, like, Tom Cotton and, like, Ted Cruz and Josh Howley voting against him. Um, and then Raytheon gets a fat-ass contract. That's how a lot of these positions work. I got another story on the site that's really about that. Um, Louis DeJoy, yeah, he's a hack. Yeah, he was definitely trying to help Trump win the election. But beyond all of that, not like Wilbur Ross. Uh, he's there to grift up the stock price and hurt the industry or help the industry that he's tied back to. Um, and so DeJoy, with the support of the agency's bipartisan but Trump-appointed governing board, has discussed lumping all first-class mail into the same three- to five-day window as non-local mail. Effectively, what that would do is eliminate USPS's ability to compete in the priority mail sector. So if you need a package, if I need to send something to Brian this week, it's got to be there by Wednesday. I have to do Wednesday. it through private. I have to um, because of what DeJoy's doing now. Hey, uh, dear Mr. President Biden, hello. My name is Lindsay Duke. I am a constituent of Texas. Can you please fire this asshole? Sincerely, Lindsay Duke. That is my letter. I don't know what to do at this point. Why does it's going to take jump? seven days for that to get in? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh damn. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Unfortunately, DeJoy, DeJoy I'll put, like, li- extra postage. I'm putting like four or five little forever stamps on it. That, that's actually that's the point. Is it literally will not matter how many stamps you throw on that fucker. Um, it, when DeJoy gets his way, you just won't be able to get it there in one day. Yeah, that now means it takes forever. Yeah, and so like what that also means is it eliminates businesses' ability to really credibly use USPS, making people, businesses in particular, have to do commerce through United Parcel Services or Federal Express. Um, it's fucked up. It, it is 100% contrary to the spirit of the post office, and I don't really know why Biden's dithering on this one. We need to we need to get rid of stocks in the government. Like if you're gonna have, I, I don't have no, I have no problem with people owning stocks. I own stocks myself. Um, you Discrete have stocks should not be allowed for government appointees and for Senate and House appointees. They should be either required to freeze their ability to move or shift them for the time, not only the time that they're in office, but like a period of time after they're in office. Um, or they should be forced to divest them completely. I, I Really, I think it should only be index funds. I think essentially what you should be allowed to do as a member of Senate, House, or inside of government is you should be allowed to have your money in index funds at that time. Um, but even sector-wide ETFs, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I actually I spent 
a while thinking on this one. You can't do discrete stocks because we've seen how that plays out time and time again. And there was supposed to be this thing, if you remember from the last decade, the Stocks Act, the whole thing like fell apart. Like like Pelosi and the Democrats advanced it. By the time it got across the finish line, it was so neutered that it, it lacked any of the actual teeth about discrete stock trading. But you should not be able to own like Leffler and Burr did, Zoom stocks. It, it should actually be illegal for them to go and buy Zoom, period. Not not because it's Zoom, but because it should not be allowed to be able to do that because as a legislator, you can make laws that manipulate that stock price. It's essentially always insider trading. Now, at the same time, I think they should be able to have some exposure to the market, and so that's why I'm fine with them. If they want to own a index-wide NASDAQ holding, I don't care. If you want to hold an index-wide Wall Street, you know, like Dow Jones holding, I don't care. Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to finish that thought. I think once you become a public servant, you are a servant to the public, and you should have to sacrifice accordingly. I mean, I work for a public university. I just had to do my ethics training just last, I mean, not last week, because that was frozen, but week before, about the things I am and am not allowed to do as a, <clears throat> as a member of not only the university, but a state-run university. So, you know, there's things about me, you know, running for office, uh, things that I can't do there, things that I can't do in terms of accepting money um, in regards to, you know, gifts and things like that, and things that I can't do in terms of uh, earning money if it may or may not affect my job. So if that's just something that our lowly little library assistant uh, has to deal with, why is the why is the the, the postmaster general up here uh, owning stocks and FedEx? Uh, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Oh oh oh, I know why. I'm sorry. It's because they're because I'm poor and they're not. So we've we've established, and, and I'm absolutely on board on your your takes on this here that uh, this shouldn't be allowed. As far as uh, a house statement here, can you imagine someone drafting something that maybe like, okay, remember that whole GameStop thing? Well, if you'd like that to never happen again, this is what you give up. Like, it, is there anything like that? No, I, I like, think that's a great point. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't even put the GameStop hearing on this because it was so... It was so silly and like the and I'm not talking about like deep fucking value and like the actual GameStop guys who yeah like they kind of pissed on Congress but I'll be honest listening to some of the questions that I heard Maxine Waters ask I'd piss on them too cuz like they weren't the lawmakers it's not like with the Facebook hearing uh, from last year, they just simply do not understand these things that they go in and larp they larp that they're regulating but they're not regulating. Um, and, and I mean, I identified on this show here as a lay person, a very obvious point of interest for them to look into, which is, okay, when this GameStop thing happened, yeah, they throttled GameStop purchases and, and, and AMC purchases and Nokia purchases and BlackBerry purchases. And you can kind of understand that on one level, but then they also throttled purchases of important stocks like Moderna, which went on a massive rally that day, uh, or American Micro Devices, which also went on a massive rally that day. So, like, what they essentially did was create this broad adult swim day for all of Wall Street, where they pulled all the retail kiddies from the pool 
and the big hedge fund sharks were able to go and make Mondo bucks. And all people like me could do as I was watching it is sit back and watch. I couldn't get in on the action. Um, but, but the lawmakers don't even get that. They don't even Chris, understand that. Uh, Chris, I, I cannot abide your, your victim mentality when the true victim here is me because I owned six shares of GameStop stock back in the fall and I doubled my earnings in it and then I sold it because I was like, I'll pay a bill. And I had like, it was worth like 50 bucks at the time. And now it would have, it would have been worth like three grand. I, I'm sorry, I'm but- hurt. I'm yeah, you victim. hijacked my victim status, though. I, I was. I, you, you can get in line behind my <laughs> trauma. <laughs> All right, so uh, one other story, kind of about like this corruption. This actually kind of keeps in the UPS thing. Uh, this is for the Daily Beast. Donors fume. It's bullshit. Biden hasn't called about ambassadorships. Now, I think. All of us as longtime followers of politics have always known that whether it's Democrats or Republicans, the ambassadorships are like the ultimate like naked political scam and like McCain's clowned people. Uh, I remember John Kennedy, not like, uh, I we will go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Uh, not that one. The one from, uh, that was a bad Kennedy. Shut up. Uh, don't look at me like that. Uh, Louisiana John Kennedy, who I'm not even going to attempt. Um, like, you, we have ambassadorships all the time that people are not ready for them. Uh, and this is one of the most transparent articles I've ever seen about this. I'll read the copy. They wrote massive checks. They encouraged their deepest pocketed friends to do the same. They sat through zoom concerts with James Taylor and zoom roundtables hosted by Diane late. Oh my, my heart weeps talking to a great actress and listening to a great acoustic guitar player. How awful. To help pay for the inauguration they didn't even get to attend. Now, some of President Joe Biden's most generous financial backers want what's coming to them. An ambassadorship. Both extraordinary and plenipotentiary, if possible. Plenipotentiary, what a word. And they're getting sick of waiting. It's bullshit, one Democratic fundraiser vented. The number of asks over the course of the campaign and over the course of the transition, and let's not even talk about the Zoom convention, and they can't even remember to make a phone call to the people who kept the lights on? From a practical standpoint, delays in office nominations are understandable. Nearly two-thirds of Biden's cabinet secretary nominations are currently stuck in confirmation logjams caused by the impeachment trial of his predecessor, and vacant ambassadorial positions are currently being minded by career foreign service officials who generally do the real diplomacy work anyways. So, the way this article is framing it, there's actually no rush because the work's getting done, people. Although Biden has not made any nominations to ambassadorial posts beyond career diplomat Linda Thomas-Greenfield to the United Nations, he's still on pace with former President Barack Obama, who did not name his first ambassadorial nominee until March 2009. So if you're gathering from the copy here, when you actually assess all the facts, these donors are petulant little bitches and brats who want theirs and do not give a fuck that any of us are going through 
through it right now. They they don't care about the Capitol riot and holding Biden or holding Trump accountable. They earnestly thought, I guess, that maybe this whole COVID thing might be over in time for them to attend the inauguration in January and get to go to the cool cocktail parties and soirees. Their social calendar was supposed to be populated with bitching events in mid-January, and instead they had to watch it on Zoom. Uh, like that's the tone. Uh, one more quote here. No one is owed an ambassadorship. Let me be clear, said one fundraiser who told the Daily Beast that they're not actively lobbying for a post, but people are owed the courtesy of a phone call. That it's just, you know, it's not happening. Is this Rahm Emanuel? <laughs> Someone is a whiny little bitch. And um, maybe they're really upset because they thought they were going to be the ambassador to Cancun. But now Ted Cruz has sullied that and they don't want it anymore. And they're just very confused. I feel so bad for them and their money. And I, I just wipe my tears away with no money because I can't. You didn't get the GameStop shit because uh, they're out here fucking you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I love that this is bullshit. This is I'm bullshit. supposed to be the ambassador to Lithuania. Why? Like why? I want to help be the doing people right now? of Lithuania. <laughs> like what do you think you're going to be doing? It's still a pandemic. They don't want us. <laughs> the world doesn't want us anywhere. You're not there's no cool parties. They can't be having the like you can't be the ambassador to to France and be having like cool hip Parisian parties and living it up as the ambassador to France. Um, I I don't know what they're expecting. These are just just go on a vacation. Well, uh, you can go to these countries in your private jets and just pretend you're the ambassador. I I want to read some of these cover letters. Yes, uh, I, I mean I can keep, I can keep reading these donor quotes. They're so fucking funny. Hillary Clinton was doing sit down fundraising dinners with donors like like a month before the general election. Because they didn't just have the small donors coming in. And then with Biden, it just didn't matter. Biden had never never had to raise money before. And so there's just not this institutional memory of cultivating and maintaining donor relationships. Like, why wasn't Biden doing these sit-down do- dinners with everyone once COVID-19 happened and he was 80 years old? <laughs> what? Why wouldn't the eighty-year-old man sit down with strangers? I mean, Trump was having parties. Look at him and how the people he infected. Uh huh. There is an an operationalized political industrial complex among donors, and the way this dance is done is. I give you the money, you give me the prestige. What is being leveraged by the politicians, what they have as a commodity to offer as the thing you get, much like when you donate to public radio and you get the tote bag, um, like what they can give you, the tote bag of politics, is the ambassadorship to Tanzania. Um, it looks good. You get prestige. You get to fly on government jets. You get to get treated as Mr. Ambassador. You get to have that as a title for the rest of your life. Um, you get bequeathed with honorifics for this price. That's the dance here. Um, and uh, again, real credit to the Daily Beast for getting, getting these quotes and getting these donors to just like brain dropping this stuff and then having the balls to print it. Yeah. And in my opinion, uh, 
the amount of suspicion that I have over uh, stuff like appointments, it raises with the amount of expectations you have for things like executive orders. Uh, if, if, if this is a one-person show, which it shouldn't be, uh, but if, if you're preparing for a one-person show, then it means more to me uh, who you put into every single position. And uh, I don't, I, that's probably in no way what this was about. <laughs> but uh, it, it, at least as far as I'm concerned, like, it, I, I, I wish there was some type of like, threat or or pushback that you could have like okay we will start to generate something that isn't just laden with executive orders but um yeah uh just to finish this out here one last quote from a bundler john morgan uh who is a prominent florida lawyer and a high level bundler from the Biden campaign there are many people who have their hands up for positions even though they did very little for the campaign or have the required credentials it's going to be slow. Priority positions need to be filled first. The ambassador to Brazil is not a priority. And again, I want you to all understand, I'm reading from a quote here. I don't even know what the fuck most ambassadors do all day. And then Morgan added, and this is obviously a joke, that said, I'd like to be the ambassador to Maui. Um, another party bundler did say, and this is like less kind of funny, um, but and we're sort of clear about the dynamics inside the administration that we'll need to keep an eye on too. It's this Harris-Biden dynamic. He goes, and, and, and read between the lines here, Kamala's brand is now tied to Biden's fundraising. Some donors see this as damaging to Kamala because they'll be shy about wanting to help. Not because people entirely just fundraise to get posts and ambassadorships and commission appointments. They do. But it is obviously, for some, a motivator. If I would have known that the only people going after these positions weren't even trying to qualify themselves for these positions, I would have just at, at, earlier in my life, like when it, you know, I, I would have done something to like put myself on onto that trajectory. Because wh who are you? Who are you exactly competing with? off i want to talk about um something uh that is 
it's been like bubbling up in news headlines here for the last several months. Um, and I think it's an interesting discussion. I don't think we're going to get to the bottom of it today. So if you all are listening and you've got thoughts on this, I'd love to hear it because we'll probably revisit this again at some point. Ring doorbells. Um, you, you all obviously know what ring doorbells are. They're, they are the smart doorbells that people are more and more installing onto the front of their houses. You ring it. It has a camera on it. That camera goes to your computer system, possibly your cell phone system, sends you a video and audio in many cases of what's going on at your front door. Um, and many of these devices uh, run in perpetuity 24-7. Uh, there's always been security cameras on houses, but the widespread commercial availability of devices like Ring Doorbell have really created um, a broad net of cameras here. Um, do either of y'all have a Ring Doorbell? Uh, I don't have one at my apartment, but my family has a Ring Spotlight or, yeah, you know, the one, the floodlight. Yeah, side. so I'd explain um, how so that works. So uh, at the front door, they have this motion sensor camera that also will trigger um, a floodlight to come on anytime someone's within uh, the range of the the lens. Uh, usually, it picks up cats. Sometimes it's it's pick. I'm biased against these camera. I mean, I'm biased for these cameras, um, and I and I can't defend everything, but I can say that um, they have picked up some people like breaking into our garage. Um, they've been helpful in that way. And, um, you know, they do what they're, they, they, they do serve their function. Um, there's just, a, I understand there's going to be a lot of interesting things that happen with them. Though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like one of the article I saw that like reminded me, oh yeah, I do think about this stuff. Cause I'm like, I'm a right to privacy guy going way back. I mean, you know, like we talk about. It's weird. It's like Snowden and WikiLeaks and Glenn Greenwald, like Glenn Greenwald doing a number on his own career on this front. But so many of those like words um, have been decoupled from the original issue that really mattered to me that those guys were getting into. Um, I, I, at this point, Snowden and WikiLeaks has really turned into like a foreign policy thing of like U.S. imperialism bad. Um, and I'm not, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that premise, but WikiLeaks and why I liked groups like WikiLeaks and what I thought Snowden did that was useful had nothing to do with U.S. imperialism and had everything to do with the right to privacy being encroached upon sort of by the two-headed snake of government and also private corporations in often cases working in concert with each other post 9-11. A lot of like the Patriot Act legislation was written so that groups like Google and uh, Facebook and a number of these internet companies um, that are were birthed in the post 9-11 years really um, could work with the government to get the government information and help basically kind of monitor and surveil all of us, but in a way where the government's not legally speaking violating the Fourth Amendment because essentially the private companies are the ones who've got all the information, and it's not until the government goes to grab the information that the Fourth Amendment's been violated, but the most important work already gets preemptively done by the private organization without violating any laws. That's that's the thing to me that I think has been lost about WikiLeaks and the NSA leaks and Snowden and everything and ring doorbells to me um, are not unlike the way we were discussing drones about five or six years ago in this sense. Um, we are creating 
a rather wide and ubiquitous network of cameras. And unlike drones, which often cases are not actually connected to the internet, they're just cameras that float, take a video, then that video can go back to a single computer hub or whatever. Many of these ring doorbells are connected to an internet of things. Um, allowing for hackers, and we have a lot of like stories about this, hackers are able to hack in to these ring doorbells, um, as are law enforcement agencies. And they are able to set up, um, I, I mean, I've what I got together for this show here, um, if you go to patreon.com slash DWATG and want to check out the slate, I put together a series of articles here where you've got like the LAPD and the Michigan PD, um, talking about how they love these cameras because it allows them to do surveillance because they can access the camera from, you know, 6566 Binghamton Street and 6588 Binghamton Street and essentially have camera coverage of you driving down the street. And maybe we can get a shot, so, shot of your email. Do you need permission from the ring owner as the police department in order to get their footage? Um, not necessarily. Um, they can partner with Ring the company, so it doesn't even necessarily have to be coming from you. Um, it's th- th- you essentially because you sign the end user license agreement with Ring. Ring owns the footage, not you. Right. So, like, there yeah. there is one issue um, that I think is a minor issue, although is a problem. Um, it's, 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 I think the lesser of these, of the two issues here, but the issue of like regular people don't need to be surveilling people like the way that we do. Like I saw one article a couple weeks ago about this country music guy who's on his driveway and he's talking to a friend and he uses the N word and it gets caught on a ring doorbell camera and the owner of that house decides that he's going to leak that to the media um, and gets the country music star in trouble. Um, obviously, I'm not condoning the language. I guess what I'm saying is I can't condone releasing the video because I don't think it's any of your business, really. Like This seems similar to that owner of the Clippers who was removed as an owner because... Oh, wow. I forgot uh, about him. Don Sterling. Re- remember? Yeah, Sterling. Yeah. Because uh, someone leaked... Uh, information about him talking at home yeah well, that was his uh, girlfriend at the time um yeah yeah so to your point your point it does sort of move into a um in certain states you only have they are one party consent states but many states are two party consent states so the point being legally speaking uh, the morality is not clear if you can have two different legal codes um and people don't go one's totally immoral um but but then yeah by the way donald sterling's a terrible person. yeah no he's a horrible just, guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what's also interesting is that there's also a problem with uh, when you say um one party consent that that depends on if it's audio or video also true um like i believe in illinois you cannot um it's a two-party audio state but a one-party video state which is a fun fact I learned from an episode of The Good Wife. Wow. Um, because the son, I think, I think one of the sons was, was recording a cop, but because it, he was using his video to record the audio and he just had the audio, he had it like in his pocket, technically because it was video, he didn't get in trouble for it. <laughs> so I don't know. That's just good. It could be laws. Yeah, change yeah, yeah. Things, no, but- I, I mean, and, like this maybe makes a case and, and I, I just, I want to think on it more. I encourage everyone else to think on it too and just get at me what you think. Um, uh, Maybe we do need to have a two-party consent thing. 
Like, like maybe, maybe, as, maybe technology is moving such that it's time to really reconsider how these laws work. How do you get a consent from a burglar? Uh, well, so it'd be different if you were submitting this to law enforcement to pursue a specific crime. Well, how about if I'm in my if I'm in my Ring app and I see a suspicious individual that's come into my garage, and it's three in the morning, and I share that to my neighborhood? I didn't get his consent to do that. No, but that so to that point, um, you are. I think I so I think there's sort of two things there. One, maybe you shouldn't be able to share it to neighborhood, but two, maybe what should the right way this happens is you share that to law enforcement because you're reporting a specific crime. In this case, it's trespassing, um, potential burglary. Um, so like you know, it's it's, it's not. This is not, oh my god, a black person's dropping a package on my step. Is it a bomb? Which is actually a lot of the ring neighborhood stuff is usually uh, there's a, a lot of racism in those uh, neighborhood groups. They, they're they like, what is this suspicious person doing at my door? And it's literally just uh, usually a black, uh, black or brown person knocking on the door, maybe handing a pamphlet and believing it. In the, like, that's not a suspicious person. That is just an individual literally using the door for its function, which is to be knocked upon. Uh, so there, there's all sorts of weirdness and and the thing also is that um i know that i pay three bucks a month to ring to store our videos um for two months it's otherwise they're deleted pretty pretty rapidly within a few days so there's some weird area in terms of where the things are stored like how long would you expect to have would police have access to something i don't know Well, especially I, I here's another point of that if you're paying for them to store it shouldn't you be able to own it shouldn't you be the one who owns that video well, now we're talking about licensing because licensing is my area of somewhat expertise at this point you don't own the songs on your ipod right that you down that you purchase right you own a temporary license for the file of that to be stored for that fi- for the life of that file that file could die in terms of it no longer works on upgraded technology um or it can't pass between a, a sharing devices so i think what's happening there is you're actually not you're not paying for the ring uh video you're paying for the storage capacity which is um it's like paying for a storage unit in you know where you would store furniture your your uh land the person who owns that storage unit could evict you at any moment if you don't pay your bill or something and they own all the contents so chris and and lindsay do you can you imagine someone competing with ring simply based on uh, a differentiation of license agreements Possibly. or would you have uh, and I would it love seems it. like it seems like a for that they would want more money or would they want less it seems like if you're gonna if you're gonna be a, a provider competing with ring and you're the way that you're differentiating is is with a license agreement then that makes your cost raise right uh the i cost don't, of I don't know what you're really dealing with is amazon because amazon owns ring so the, the the direct competition to Ring is Nest, um, and so they're very similar. Those are major, major companies. I think you'd be wanting to think about it in terms of uh, 
like an like a VPN service, which are really popular these days, of promoting the idea of you you should uh, have privacy and you should mm-hmm. not have to rely on these companies. And we're going to be very open with our terms and and, and how we use, use your data and how we protect your data, as opposed to Amazon, which is going to be like a black box in terms of. I- you know. Yeah, I'd be curious how Mist at, competes against Ring, and how do they advertise? Is there any talk of we invade your privacy less, or is it is that even a subject now? I I, I don't even know if there's a market for that. I, I mean, what's what's funny to that point is when it comes to the privacy invasion thing, a lot of these people who put them up are sort of ambivalent about that or, or, or apathetic towards it. Like in the same way that like, you know, though I one article, I don't know if I had it, but like there was one article where um, the person who had it in the house was sort of like, well, if you don't want to be videotaped, just don't like walk up on my threshold. I'm like, yeah, but like, I mean, if you're a person who delivers a package, again, d- there's a race and class component to that. Um, you're finding yourself being constantly documented and constantly part of the informal panopticon on a constant basis. Like if you are a UPS package delivery driver, um, you might spend most of your day on camera and not even realize that you're mostly on camera all day. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the only solicitor 99% of this country is willing to accept is the Girl Scout. (laughs) That's about it. Yeah, and I don't have cash for her. Like, what is she expecting? She better. Yeah, but it, but if she knocks on the door, you're not saying what What is this? <laughs> like that. That's the one figure I can say, like without a doubt, no matter whose door she knocks on, she, you're not going to get flack. Uh, I don't know when that changed. So, so now the other part of this, and why I think we do need to be vigilant on this, is that police departments are strapped for cash. Um, and I, I, I know on some level we go, but they have so much fucking money. Yes, they use it the wrong way. That That's true. Um, but one of the places where like they they do experience budgetary constraints, uh, despite how much money they sometimes make, is when it comes to surveillance technology. Um, and police departments would like to liberate their budget, especially if you're looking forward and you're thinking there's now a serious political movement to scale back what police budgets are. Um, I think this impulse is only going to strengthen as, as some police departments start to recognize its inevitability, there will be some cutbacks. Um, so because of that, they like the idea of partnering with Ring Doorbell and neighborhood watch communities and getting access to this. Um, here is a quote. This is uh, from a story from Capital News Service up in Michigan. Um, this is Livonia Police Chief Curtis Cade. Cameras are everywhere nowadays. We all have them. We carry them around with us. They're on our phones. Whether it's a home or a business, a lot of people have access to monitoring activities through video. Ring is just one of them, um, which he thinks is totally fine. Um, but like the, the implication here is th- there are all these cameras now. Police departments see that there are all these cameras here, and it behooves them. So I don't think it's an accident that in the last calendar year, I've got a story about LAPD partnering up with Ring and neighbors. Um, in this case, to use Ring doorbells to surveil and identify participants in a Black Lives Matter protest. Um, yeah, uh, that's the other part of this. Is like, yeah, they're going to be using them for this. 
Um, and then, and then also now you're seeing up in Michigan, another place where there were a lot of protests, an impulse to start getting ring doorbell partnerships, especially with the white suburbs and everything like that. Um, yeah, and I, I like, and the neighbors apt, I, like to your point, Lindsay, I worry, I don't have a problem with stuff going through the cops then to the neighbor's app as like a, hey, we just want to make everybody in your neighborhood aware of this thing that's happening right now. I do have a problem, potentially, with just taking footage and being able to throw it up on, on the neighbor's app because I do think you're able to, like, you're able to violate your neighbor's privacy in a lot of cases. Um, and I, I guess uh, morality-wise, if, if it would be weird if I stood at the edge of my driveway and gawked at you and watched as you and your wife or you and your you know friend were talking about something like if you feel like that's inappropriate it's probably inappropriate for me to like disseminate out that video too you are walking into very interesting and complicated legal grounds and moral grounds because you're t- you're talking as a paparazzi person at that point yeah I, oh i'm anti-paparazzi I'll, I'll be honest well it's not that what i'm saying yeah. is is when you're in a public space you have the right to film usually unless there's some ordinance like in some of these like beverly hills areas they've got you know special things but um at this point there's several things going on you've got the right to film in public spaces you have the right to film in your private space um when you use a camera and you f- film something you now own that footage as copyright um so it's interesting with what's happening with ring i'd be i'd like to look more into the terms and services of you know that camera is mine that camera is filming but you own the footage that's very interesting um because the copyright should belong to the person who's operating the camera Uh, but if you send an and if you send a license agreement to them like once you sign it to them, I mean, I, I think I think you're right. Maybe that's why they need you to sign the EULA, is to hand that over to them. Mine's filming um, a a driveway, so it's not like I have a lot of fear for it. But I also understand the concept of um, both that we we give away our freedom in inches, not miles, and also that um, we. Uh, who's those who sacrifice liberty for security deserve neither that whole, that whole adage yeah I, I don't want to I don't want to you know pull out my Gadsden flag here and hang it in the yeah. back to end the show um, <laughs> alright guys no, I I, I'm rebranding I think what you've got is a problem where this has happened this this country music scene for this example couldn't have happened to, our, to a douchebaggy or fellow it sounds like um so you have a I, I, the the worst moral quandaries always involve shady gray individuals where that you don't you're like ah yeah I don't want to support him but also if someone was like filming my kids and uploading them in their driveway playing in like the kiddie pool or something and now there's like a sh- creepy website out there um, I could see but it's all legal that's the problem i don't know i don't i don't have no, an answer and i don't pretend to I, ever and I, you know using the country guy i think is actually a good point um i like these sorts of limit cases in the sense that you have a thing that on one hand you want to be like fuck that guy but at the other hand then you start to feel kind of icky when you really think about like yeah i mean but this guy like really was actively not making a public like really not trying to be public like, you could sort of tentatively say he was, quote, in public, but then, like, it's sort of like, is your driveway in public or is it your private property? 
And you can't argue on one hand, oh, if I'm running a camera on my lawn, then I'm on my private property, that's fine. But this guy doesn't have the private property shield at the same time. I think that this is, once again, a feature, not a uh, bug. I think all of this grayness is intentional. And at this point, it might be, uh, you know, it will eventually be solved. uh, Whether in some sort of policy form, because all technological, technological advances reach some sort of regulation eventually. But... That won't necessarily mean it's it ends in a good situation for anyone involved because I don't know. Sometimes when things are gray and mushy and we can take them case by case, it's better, safer. It's a status quo that's actually not always. It's not the best of all possible worlds, but it's like the better than an average possible world. Yeah, as opposed to like a blanket statement that is going to affect everything equally, even if not every situation is equal. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just well, the ambassador to Cancun. Yeah, I'm <laughs> hanging in there for this uh, ambassadorship to Maui. Uh, get me the fuck out of Texas. Well, well to get to the uh, to the subject of uh, the cost of the police state um, and how that's going to have to change, it seems that there's two directions where that they can go. You can either turn cops into cameras or you can turn cops into drones. Now, in my opinion, the drones are much more or much less Orwellian than the cameras. Um, but That's here's what I here's what I see happening: the drones start coming out. The drones eventually have lethal force. A drone misuses lethal force. People complain about the misuse of the lethal force, and the counter is, well, yeah, but the drone isn't prejudiced. It's just temporarily stupid, and we're going to fix that. And 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 then you say, but no, we want more cameras, and then it goes straight cameras. Here, here's uh, that, what's that's, interesting. That's the way I see it traveling. You've brought up a really interesting thing about prejudice, uh, like a prejudice technology. We know they exist. Um, face tracking is racially uh, you know, designed to favor white faces. Like when people right. were, you know, first yeah. trying to unlock their phones, you know, some, mm-hmm. the, because of the majority of people coding and testing that stuff are white. So, you know, in 70 years when we're living in, you know, cyberpunk, whatever, whatever, and there's a drone that's been designed, is it going to be designed to, uh, to, to be racially motivated as well? Like it's trained. To stop and frisk? Yeah, to stop and frisk, to go by the data. Like facts are... Um, facts are squishy sometimes. Well, I guess that sort of shits on that distinction, but it's well, appropriate. No, I, I think you're right on the Orwellian <laughs> thing. Um, I like, I, I think you used Orwellian the right way, which is like su- yeah. super uncommon, super uncommon in all of the internet. So, like, we're we're doing it over here. Uh, and here's why I think you're dead on with with the Orwellian usage, um, because. Orwell is, yes, it's about the state imposing it, but there's another part where, like, the people in uh, 1984 are doing it to themselves. Like, they have the TVs that watch them. Um, and, and in this sense, Ring Doorbell really does serve 
as like kind of like a brilliant it watches you it's i mean it's the story that i had on the slate here about the baby monitor that gets hacked into um by the hacker like like you essentially set up the cameras yourself and you tell yourself that you're better off with the cameras all around you with like this camera right here yeah i mean there's cameras everywhere that's the well, now that you remind me here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a Mark Zuckerberg has a sticker over his webcam and Mark Zuckerberg is basically president of the internet. So if he's at least thinking of these security issues, oh look there's a cat. Um Kitten you know, then, then then there's something to it, right? Um but this there's also this thing about privacy that I think we don't want to really admit. I think privacy is over. I think it died. I think it died with our cell phones. I, I they know they know what you're doing. They don't. This is my thing about Facebook. People always say, "I think Facebook is listening to me." It it advertised this thing that me and my friend were talking about. My friend got this cool candle, and then I started seeing advertisements for the candle. Guess what? Facebook doesn't need to listen to you. Facebook doesn't need to have audio microphones on listening to you. Facebook knows that your friend visited and your friend just purchased a candle from a store online, and that candle. Uh, arrived at, at a certain day because they have cookies that track the shipping and the cookies that track the store and now you and your your phone your friend's phone and your phone are in the same place so you're having like a get together or something and they're telling you about their cool new candle they just bought and now you go home and on your laptop hey look there's an advertisement from Facebook for that candle the privacy's over it's dead it's gone um, yeah and and to get back to the to get back to the school things just a little bit the privacy will always be tied with morality. And when you don't have privacy, you just turn immoral or amoral. You don't turn, yeah, you don't turn immoral. You just turn amoral. There's, there's no, there's, it's just neutral. And that scares the shit out of me. Yes. Yeah. It, it is. It's because the only reason you don't do stuff is because you're being watched. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I do. I worry about that too. Um, and, and then obviously. Elf on the shelf. Um, did you ever hear about the, what happened with Elf on the Shelf? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? The little, yeah. Just the little yeah, thing yeah, at Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The parents would put it on the shelf, right? And they started, a lot of parents started noticing that their children, their, you know, eight and under kind of kids, their behavior got very creepy. Whenever they're in the room with that little, that little elf, they started acting like someone was watching them. And so the parents started remove, you know, started deciding we're not going to do this anymore. It was cute for a little bit, but now our our four year old is acting like they're being spied on, and they can't move or do anything because the elf is going to tell on them. And it's the 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 whole proof that we have about you know cameras mitigate behavior and change how you how you interact with the world. I mean, well, that, Jane Goodall an inanimate object that has no camera built into it that has the same power. So the premise of a camera. Yeah, you yeah, know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's Jane Goodall and the apes and like observing the apes and like how like they're different under observation. Um, that only on overdrive when you are telling the observed thing that they are under observation, they can understand that. You know, I mean, it, you, you could argue that. My cats will behave differently if I put a camera on them. I'm not so sure about that, right? Um, but I, if they could understand they were all being watched, they'd be acting differently. If you told me that I was on camera, um, I'd act differently, um, you know, and I'd be on edge. And, and to your point, Brian, a more stressed society. Um, and, and it's a low-level stress that no one even is able to articulate because it's just the air you breathe. 
Um, you're just constantly in a surveillance state all the time, and you don't even know what it's like to not be watched. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that this is this is bad, and I think you're ultimately right, Lindsay, that like the privacy thing, like we lost the battle. Um, I, I remember after the NSA leaks came out, there was this thing called the Restore the Fourth Rally. I've mentioned this a few times in the show. If you've heard this before, I'm sorry. Um, but the Restore the Fourth Rally happened down here in Dallas. And Jordan and I, uh, who used to host the show here, um, we went out to this thing and there were me and him and then about 10 other people and like five or six of them were just like anonymous nerds, like, like with like the Guy Fox masks on and like it, there was no movement. Um, and, and yeah, Occupy Wall Street had gotten suction, but the right, the privacy stuff has not gotten but a fraction of what like many kind of more economically motivated left issues have. Um, so I, I'm with you, Linz. I think unless the left started giving like a mondo shit about this in a way that we have not seen in a very, very long time. They could. They there could. Is a way. The, okay. The way you because the Fourth Amendment is often what is uh cited in terms of the Black Lives Matter community of just assuming that someone is guilty. You know, you haven't had a warrant. You, you're Breonna Taylor. You're busting down her door. She didn't have the, uh, you know, any knowledge of, you know, a warrant being out for anybody or, or the, the, the no knock thing is very anti fourth amendment. Um, just shooting without, uh, without cause or, or due cause is very fourth amendment. And I think if you could tie it back to some sort of, if you could tie the technology into the uh, racial and social aspect of the of the Fourth Amendment issue, you could probably go, you know garner more support. Otherwise, it just sounds like tech nerds being really. Um, why are you so nervous about your ring camera? Yeah, no, I, I know. The, meanwhile, they freak out over Section 230 and net neutrality, and they're like, it's going to be the end of the internet if we lose net neutrality. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I mean, like, we're literally building a pan-opticon under our noses right now with millions of cameras going out every year. Don't worry about that. Why are you so paranoid? I think well, if you make it a social thing, justice issue, you get more answers. One angle I was hoping on the right is that you could convince the right that, you know, they can take your guns through the Fourth Amendment. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It totally is. I, <laughs> you, it's it, This seems like an issue where you have to get everyone on board because at any point, if you don't have everyone on board, the Second Amendment this is a super easy debate one to is wedge. always around the corner. This is, this is yeah. a very super easy one to wedge. If you want to be tough on crime... You can make a tough on crime argument that ring doorbells allow us to catch more criminals. And isn't that a wonderful yep. thing? Um, so you could take anyone who might be a right winger on some issues, but is worried about the feds and the cops and all that, like the you know, Ruby Ridge types. You know, um, those people you can scare off by going, well, we'll be tough on crime. If, if you get rid of the, if you get rid of this, it'll, it'll make it harder for us to do our job and keep you safe. Um, and people like that, I mean, to, you know, to Lindsay's point, like if I was a single woman living alone in the city, I'd have a ring doorbell. I'd have several cameras. I'd have, I yeah. wish I could have one now. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know how to tell you how, that I'm, I can be morally ambiguous about this, but also 
still give Amazon my yeah, money. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it because I under... Like, look, I don't have... With certain applied uses, I have absolutely no problem with it. Um, my, my, my position is not... Luddite, let us smash all the ring doorbells and burn them like disco records in, in arenas. Um, m my point is more, let us really consider what is and isn't proper usage of ring doorbell footage. And, and let us also seriously consider that's in all of our interest to figure out what those limits are. People, be vigilant on the cameras thing. Hopefully, we got people thinking. If you've got thoughts about, like, the privacy stuff and how that works, get at me at DWATG. If you want to watch the entire video version of this show um, and all shows, sub up at patreon.com slash DWATG. If you're like, I don't know, I would like to watch one of these video things, but I'm not going to pay you a dollar a show, Novembrito, no matter how many times you ask. Well, you're in luck, pal. Uh, go to YouTube.com um, and search for Don't Worry About the Government. We have a YouTube channel. You can see old episodes of Don't Worry About the Government, a month and older, are now available for watching if you want to watch old episodes of Don't Worry About the Government. Um, and, and, of course, like there are... We're trying to work in the free side clip thing, too. So there's a few of those up there as well if you want to go and check that out. Um, and I'm on Twitter at DWATG. Patreon page is patreon.com slash DWATG. Brian, where are you on the internet? I'm at PostmanRTs, at PostmanRetweets. Lindsay Duke? I am at Lindsay underscore 007. And um, I'm on Discord now, too. I'm, I'm noodling around with that. So if Discord's a thing that you are doing... You can follow me. What what is what is my name? Like that, I'm still I'm Nov N O V number seven five seven four. So go and look for that. Add me on Discord. I feel like I, I'm missing out key Discord lingo that makes me seem old and dated. But I'm gonna live. I'm gonna persevere. And until the next one. Bye bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye.